Good day, nerds. This is Megan McCarthy Bianc, book reviewer and author interviewer. Today's episode, we're talking to Carter Wilson. We're talking about his newly released book, The New Neighbor. It's available now. And it's actually, it's a standalone, but it is kind of a crossover with one of his other works, The Dead Husband. So it was really interesting reading from that perspective without having an like really any idea that what happened before. Um, and we, in this conversation, we kind of talk about that process. We talk about how he uh, started out as a writer and learned from his experiences and um, just kept writing. And so if you like thrillers, suspense, it's kind of like a little haunted house mystery story. This one is definitely for you. And I had a really good conversation with Carter. And, you know, without further ado, here we go. All right. We are welcoming Carter Wilson here talking about his book, uh, The New Neighbor. It's available now. Carter, thank you so much for making the time to meet with us today. Um, I am a sucker for the thriller genre. So Mm -hmm. I, you know, I was really excited to read this one and it, you know, it did not disappoint at all. And so, um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to, to dive in a little bit deeper here. Well, it's nice to be here. Thanks for having me, Megan. Yeah. So, before we get started, how about you give like a little brief summary of the book so that, you know, people can kind of follow along with what we're talking about? Sure. Well, you know, whenever I sit down to write, I don't outline. So, you know, all <laughs> I ever have is kind of this idea for an opening scene. That's it. And I don't know why this idea comes to me or how it comes to me, but it does. And, and for the new neighbor, the opening scene I pictured was... Uh, a man in his mid-30s, and he's at the funeral for his wife. She passed tragically and unexpectedly, leaving behind not only him, but two seven-year-old twins. Um, and so it's a pretty brutal <laughs> pretty brutal opening scene. He's just trying to get through this day, and he's devastated, and his kids are devastated. And he has a moment where he finds himself um, alone with his wife in her casket uh, for just a few minutes at this funeral. And he uses that moment to kind of say a final goodbye to her. And after he does that, he feels his cell phone vibrate in his pocket and he knows it's a text message. And, uh, you know, he's normally not the kind of guy who would check a text, his phone you know, at a moment like this, but it's kind of a spiritual moment for him. So he, he has a sense that it's her, it's her. She's, saying goodbye to him. So he he does check his text messages, uh, only to find that he actually just won the Powerball, $32 million. And so that's the scene that like came to me. And, and you know, I just thought, Jesus, what's, what's this guy going to do now? <laughs> How is he going to handle this emotional upheaval? Um, and so it was kind of a, I wanted to have a study of him you know, to see what he would do. Would he would he be able to take care of his kids or would he slowly descend into madness? Um, and then so they move to a new home and, you know, other factors conspire against them to drive them deeper and deeper into a massive state of paranoia. Um, so it was fun as hell to write. Yeah, <laughs> I could tell you've had fun with it for sure. <laughs> um, so let's go into your background a little bit. This is not your debut novel. You've had, you got a couple other works under your belt. This is um, my eighth. Yeah. Yeah. Can you give us like a little background of, you know, your career and experiences and then kind of like what led up to this point of you writing The New Neighbor? Yeah. So I have no, I have no business writing really. <laughs> I, I didn't study it. I didn't like reading books. 
Uh, I went to business school essentially and worked in um, uh, in the field of hospitality real estate for years and years and years. And then just literally one day when I was 33, I started writing. It just this thing kind of – I had this moment. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I wrote my first book in about 90 days, and it was terrible. That's crazy. Oh. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Um, but it was a meaningful experience and I, I literally had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know how to make chapters. I didn't know anything about point of view. I just wrote this book. Um, and then I just decided it was something that I loved to do. And I wanted to learn everything there was to know, not only about writing, but about the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. So I learned how do you, how do you get an agent? You know, how do you, how does an agent sell a book? You know, how does marketing work? All that stuff. So my first you know, and, and as you know, this is an industry filled with extreme <laughs> rejection. Yeah. <laughs> and my first three novels didn't sell, um, but oh. I kept learning. And it didn't, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to say it didn't bother me, but like, I kind of always felt like, of course they didn't sell. I don't know what I'm doing. They shouldn't sell. <laughs> uh, I was fortunate enough to get an agent with my first book, the same agent I'm with now. Um, but that, so that moment when I had that kind of almost uh, uh, experience to decide to start writing, that was 19 years ago. Um, mm. So I've just... Every day I write, and I've I've gotten to the point where I, you know, doing about a book a year, um, and it's and it's tremendous, and I'm still learning. But I write standalones. Uh, the one exception was when I wrote the new neighbor. The book that I've written before, the dead husband, had took place in the same town, not only the same mm-hmm. town as the new neighbor, but the same mm-hmm. house. Because when I finished that book, I'm like, I am not done writing about this house. <laughs> So I, I challenged myself to how can I make a standalone story that also takes place in this house? And so I, I was a little, I was a little obsessed. So I made, I made this poor sap who lost his wife and won the lottery moved into that house. Um, <laughs> and that house is very malevolent and has a very dark energy. Um, and I wanted to see how he was going to, how he yeah. was going to deal with it. So that was kind of my, my trajectory. Um, but I'm, you know, like I said, I'm still learning. There's a lot, there's a lot about writing that I don't know. Yeah. Lifelong learner. And I think I mentioned this in an interview with another um, author was that, you know, your first draft is, it's just to exist. Like that's the purpose of the first draft. And I love your, you know, self-described background. of like, you know, you had no idea what you were doing. Of course you weren't going to like perfect it right away, but I love that, you know, you acknowledge that and you just continue to embrace that process. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing for, for, you know, particularly for aspiring authors is knowing that, you know, don't try to be perfect because it's never going to be perfect. No matter how Mm. good you get, the hardest thing to do is to finish that. Like you said, that finish that first draft. I was, I was talking to Claire McIntosh yesterday and she says she throws away her first draft almost in its entirety (laughs) every single time. And she writes it knowing that she's going to do that, but she needs to have that process just to know what it is she does want to write, which is insane to me. Um, <laughs> but the hardest thing to do is to, to get that draft done. Um, and, and the, you know, the magic is all in the editing, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. So do your, are all of your, your book that you've published so far, are they all also in the thriller genre? They are. And, and you know, yeah. going well, back to draw, me. Not, what draws you to s- that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. You know, like that, that first book we had, I like conflict. I like, I like to you know, people into extreme situations and see kind of what are you going to do and, and kind of empathetically think, what would I do in this situation? That's mm. always appealed to me. But, you know, I wrote that first manuscript and it was my agent who's who 
said I was writing thrillers. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know what a thriller was. Um, so I don't think about it too much in terms of genre, but I just, I, I do enjoy the emotion of conflict and the emotion of struggle. And you want them to succeed mm -hmm. at the end. Um, but I want them to <laughs> pay a price to get to that point. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know what it is about. I think it's just like the suspense of it. Like, and just constantly pulling me along. So I, I appreciated the short chapters in yours because then I was just like, oh, just one more chapter. Oh, just one more chapter. Like, wait, it's over. Like, oh, I can read one more. And I just kept That's funny you say going. that because I've, I've gotten a lot of comments like that. And none of that has ever <laughs> been in, intentional. It's just like, I just feel like, oh, this is a place to stop and this is a place to start. And yeah. it, was just, it develops into your stuff. But I get so much feedback, but it kept me reading. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I had no idea. And then, but it sounds like it's uh, <laughs> it's an effective device if that's what it, it is it really is because you know when i'm reading books that have like really long chapters i'm like oh my god do i have enough time to sit down and finish this chapter because <laughs> right. I, I have you know i have two kids i have a full-time job and i'm like yeah do i do i have time for this like so that's why i appreciate this couple pages and and i can take a break and then you know be on mm -hmm. my way the next time i pick it up um maybe, maybe my next book will just be a haiku right <laughs> <laughs> I, you could probably probably figure it out. You'll probably find out a way to make that very suspenseful as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah, you mentioned before that this book crosses over with one of your previous works. So like, and that you had, you know, so I did add that to like my my audiobook, my oh, to great. listen list. Yeah, because I do want to. I appreciate your writing style and just like you, you did a very good job of telling the story and pulling us along. And so, and yeah, that house I want to like. I want to revisit the house too. So like, and I want to know what's up with Rose Yates and what, like what happened to her, you know, and cause it's, it's kind of just like a, a lingering like background and like backstory. And then your pre, you know, people who have read your works will be familiar. And so now I'm like, Oh no, I want part of that. Like I want to get <laughs> to that. Yeah. It was an interesting challenge because I really wanted to make both books standalone where you could read both. You could read either or and in whatever order uh, but if you read both of them you know more would come to light but it's you know it's it's really difficult to do because by nature of doing that there's certain things you can't really reveal because it mm. would spoil the other book so i think you know how that manifests itself is that it can leave some readers frustrated because it feels like well the mystery wasn't all tied yeah. up at the end um <laughs> And, you know, and that's something I have to deal with. But, you know, I guess my knee jerk reaction to that is I don't really write mysteries. You know, if there's a mystery within the story, fine. But my intention is never to have everything solved neatly by the end. And I think that can frustrate some readers who, you know, because mystery, thriller, suspense, it all bleeds into each other. Um, mm -hmm. And so when they're saying like, oh, I guessed who it was, I'm like, well, that wasn't my intention was to hide it from you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to make a mystery. I'm just trying to tell a story. But, you know, it's, it's always hard dealing with reader, reader expectations. Well, yeah. And all readers are different. Like I'm not one of those For readers sure. who ca catches on to it right away, which, but I think I, I enjoy that because then it like, I could still enjoy and be like sucked into the book a little bit only it's only until, you know, if I'm reading from like my e-reader for my Kindle, for example, and 
I'm like paying attention to the percentage. I think maybe that's when I get a little annoyed. I'm like, wait, there's only 6% left. There's still so much. And then I right. only to find out like, oh, the next book is coming out next year. Like, damn it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. And it's funny because I don't, because I don't outline, I don't know the twists. I don't know the ending, you know, until maybe I'm 80% into it. So it's, it, it's all kind of a, <laughs> un, unveiling itself to me as well. And then you always have to go back and, you know, make sure everything's consistent with whatever twists and turns pop into your head that night. Right, right, exactly. So then how did this experience, do you have any other works that tie into each other like that? Like how, how was this experience different than, you know, those of, from your previous published works? Yeah, I don't, um, you know, I definitely put in some Easter eggs here and there because I do enjoy world building, but almost all my books take place in entirely different locations, usually in locations that I'm not familiar with because I enjoy that. <laughs> feeling and, and obviously all new characters. Um, so it was, honestly, it was exciting. You know, I've always, I, I'm not, I have nothing against series. I just have never had that moment of like, oh, I need to tell, keep telling this person's story. Mm -hmm. Um, but in the case of this with the house, that was the story that I wanted to keep telling. So it was nice to be able to go back and have that kind of fun with it, knowing like all the shit that went down in that house yeah. and these people don't know, but they can feel it. And so it was, it was, it was very fun for me to write, but again, challenging to make sure, you know, and that takes help with, you know, your beta readers, your agent, your editor to kind of help, you know, say, maybe you don't want to reveal too much here, or maybe you want to reveal more. Um, so it was definitely, <laughs> it became mm -hmm. a team effort at the end. Yeah. That's usually how it goes. But um, no, I just thought it was so fascinating because then it was like it. I had no idea. And then once I realized like, oh, wait, like, oh, oh readers are revisiting Barry, New Hampshire. I was like, wait a second. What did I miss? You know? And so that's what I went back and looked. and I was like, OK, let's see if I can, you know, add this to to read list or to listen list. And so, yeah, I'm I'm excited to start playing that one. Yeah, it's an interesting challenge. And, and one of the things that came out of it was we decided for the publication of the new neighbor to put the first chapter of the previous book at the end. So when you finish the book and you feel like, well, I kind of don't know what happened, you know, to this other mystery, you can see that first chapter and realize like, Oh, there's another book that, that takes place in the same house. Yeah. So hoping to <laughs> alleviate <laughs> some of the struggle from some of the readers who maybe didn't realize that. Right. <laughs> and the events are what, 30 years apart, right? I think for or when 20 from what happened in the house to, to when the story takes place. Yeah. About that. Yeah. But the actual two books, um, the dead husband and the new neighbor take place about six, seven months apart. Oh, the okay. The, so in the new, in the dead husband, okay, you're going to find out I'm... what that history of that house is and why Rose Yates left. But she left that house about six months before um, Aiden Marlowe moves in in the new neighbor. So, oh, okay. Okay. Interesting. But then, you, then you get the whole history of, of the Yates family and in, in the, the, the dead husband. So, okay. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of world building. <laughs> so do you want to do that again then? Like, do you want to, are there any of your existing works that maybe you, you have a hankering to revisit? I mean, I, I might set a, a third, book in Bury okay. um, <laughs> and, and revisit kind of like in the future, like, you know, what actually happened and what, where are these people now? Okay. Um, but aside from that, not really. I have, 
you know, I get so excited when I sit down with a new idea to just be in a new world in a different location with new people and like what's going to happen. So I've got, you know, I've got something that's going to come out probably later next year that I'm in edits on now. And then I have an idea for that opening scene for, for another book. And then maybe after that, we'll see. Okay, cool. No, I'll have to keep an eye on that. Cause I'll, I would definitely like to know about, you know, how Marlo's handling his, so I know we want to be, uh, you know, spoiler free for the most part, but I'm curious. Cause like, so Marlo is kind of like, I don't know, borderline alcoholic would you say or he's oh, kind of like yeah. on that. <laughs> i think yeah. he's got one foot firmly <laughs> on the other side of that line right yeah hees on somewhere on that yeah. spectrum as my editor says it's a very boozy book yes yes <laughs> which you know with the nerd name the cantina it's that's fine here but <laughs> so i was just curious like so did you have to do any um research to kind of like was any research involved to kind of get into his that headspace of understanding how his habits might like affect his like, you know, like perception and receiving information and and coping and all the events that happen, like how, or even maybe not necessarily with just Marlo, but with in, in general, because I like how you mentioned earlier that you set your books in places that you really don't know much about. So I'm curious as to like what kind of, if any other research was involved that didn't have to do with like the character building. Yeah. I don't, I don't do a lot of research mostly because it's work (laughs) and (laughs) I don't enjoy it. Um, I definitely research when I feel like I need to, and I need to be credible. Um, And I know a lot of people who research because, and I think the people who really research their books heavily they do it because they love it. They love the research. And that's just not me. Mm. Um, I think, you know, from a psychological perspective, when I sit down to try to get into people's heads, you know, I just kind of, <laughs> I just try to let it happen and feel like, and really try to be empathetic and be like, what, what must it be like to be in this situation? And I just kind of sit with that. And, and I truly believe like, maybe not the best writing, but the way that I like to write comes from a place of emotion before plot development or character development, I I really need to have that emotion shine through. So I really, when I was writing Marlowe, I just kind of try to feel what it was like. And it was a very emotional, (laughs) tumultuous kind of person and, and just kind of coming from that space. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I find if I try to get too researchy about it, it becomes a little bit more clinical than I want. Mm. Um, and I've done definitely done that before with Mr. Tender Squirrel, my protagonist, she had panic attacks. And I'm like, I've never had a panic attack. So let me research what that feels like. But I want to see, I want to see what it feels like from an emotional point of view. I want to mm-hmm. meet people who have gone through this. I don't want to see the clinical version of it. And that helps. Um, but, but generally speaking, I, I, I just try to sit with these characters and, and, and kind of <laughs> feel, try to feel what they're, what I think that they're feeling. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I try to put my, my like head and try to see, like imagine what that would be like for a lot of characters. And yeah, this one was definitely heartbreaking. Like what happens to Marlo and it, it seems like all his prayer, you know, all his problems are f- solved. They can just get a fresh start because he's got like all this cash now. And it's at, at, at what cost? Obviously, he'd rather have his wife. And, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, and I think the thread through most of my books and why there's psychological thrillers is that the one place you can't escape from is your own head. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm very kind of <laughs> obsessed with that is the idea of like, you know, 
happiness and despair and love and joy <laughs> and hate all comes from your own brain. Yeah. You know, there's nothing else that you can do about it. So you can, you know, if you are in despair, throwing money at it doesn't do any good. And I like kind of that irony of, yeah. of you know, I'd give this all back if I could just have X. Um, yeah. So I, I enjoy kind of right from that perspective. I think sometimes it becomes very dark when I do that. And and I lose my own perspective of it. I'm like, oh, this is mm. a happy book. This is a book about somebody who's, you know, whatever. And people are like, Jesus Christ, this is like, <laughs> this is gut-wrenching. I'm like, oh, I, I didn't know. That wasn't my intention necessarily. <laughs> right. Well, hey, whatever, wherever it flows, just go with it, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so like, you know, Marlo's like coping and dealing with it and, you know, this unexpected thing that he didn't see coming. And it's what, I guess, so we, the reader meets, Marlo we don't know who how Marlo or who Marlo was when his wife was still alive you know we don't have that to compare to but I'm wondering like is there any insight you can give as to like how his wife's death changed like his parenting style because we don't readers don't really see that his parenting style with his partner still here you know so I guess I'm just like curious about that yeah I thought I I thought that relationship was really interesting yeah I think it changed it dramatically because you know first of all you don't have the other partner, right? You don't, it's, it is all you. And not only is it all you, you are at your most vulnerable and, mm. and tattered you know, part of your life. And so you are least able <laughs> to parent when the time when it is most needed from you. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so I loved that kind of duality of it all of just like, you know, but still he's like, he's massively in love with his kids and he has his overwhelming sense of protection. But yet he's got his own demons that are brought out by, you know, his own turmoil. And so it's almost like, you know, it almost becomes a little bit self-destructive in a way. Mm. Um, and But then you hate yourself for being self-destructive because you need to be there for your kids. And so it's just this becomes a cycle of like, how is he going to get out of this? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and more stuff gets thrown at him. So, yeah, he's, you know, to put it shortly, he, he's not the parent that he, he certainly wants to be or how his wife would want him to be. And that's the journey he's got to kind of get to is like, how, you know, how do I work through this to be there for my yeah. kids? Because that is ultimately the most important thing. Yeah. Definitely. Cause it is like, you know, there are people, there are single parents all the time and, and, you know, there are kids who grow up with just one parent all the time, but it's, I guess I, I thought it was interesting that the reader meets him when there's this huge shift, this huge like life event. And so we don't know, we given some little insight here and there as to how right. the person he kind of, he was before this happened. And so I guess, yeah, it was just interesting to see like, you know, his, <laughs> his, Bo is a strange person and he's trying to go with it. (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, Maggie's like the, you know, she, she, you know, she, she's she's like a typical seven-year-old girl. She's a little bit more grounded. Yeah. And Bo's a little bit more out there. Yeah. (laughs) For for sure. (laughs) Um, But I mean, like the background that they came from is they were, you know, they didn't have a lot of money and they were, you know, Marlo and uh, his wife were, were madly in love, but had all the same struggles that any young parents have um, and didn't have a lot of money. And, you know, so, but they were great parents, you know, mm-hmm. within the, within the construct that they could be, but just this meteor hits them and, mm-hmm. and that changes everything. Yeah, definitely. So I'm curious about like, so his relationship with his dad, 
and with his parents we learn you know he he lost his marlo lost his mom so there's like a running theme here and do you think that kind of like his parent like his relationship with his parents kind of trickled down into how he would like cope because his i mean he just works at you know his dad owns a bar so he he works at the bar he's like the family business and then but you know it seems like his dad when that happened his dad just kind of poured himself into his work a little bit more at least that's like the vibe that i got yeah they had it they had a you know a tragedy in their own background where, where Marlo's uh, brother died at a young age, yeah, at the age yeah. of 14. And so that, you know, the tapestry of death exists for that family and they're Irish. And I kind of saw this father as being kind of this, not cold and unemotional, but like life must go on yeah. kind of a character while pushing down all the massive amounts of of grief, you know, in perpetuity, and you know that bubbles up. Uh, that you can't run from that. Yeah, that will mm-hmm. eventually come for you. Um, so that was important to me that that the father, who ostensibly is the kind of the the <laughs> the sensible, get your shit together kind of a guy, has his own vulnerabilities because he has been just pushing down that grief for so long that it's become just, you know, almost cancerous. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just felt that it was interesting to kind of like notice little trends and there's, yeah, like just tragedy is just very uh, apparent. (laughs) It's very, you know, within (laughs) both of their family histories and it's, it's, yeah, it was like heartbreaking because he just, and I feel like that, like, you know, as a teenager, when that happened um, with Marlo's brother, I feel like, that kind of like almost kickstarted another shift like into his personality and for sure for yeah. sure marlo marlo is pretty damaged and it's funny i was talking to somebody who had read the book and they said oh this is a story about grief and i thought that was interesting i'm like that wasn't my intention like i never set out to write a, a book about grief mm-hmm. but that's how they you know processed it and i'm like oh Huh. I, like, I love okay. hearing stuff like that because <laughs> that, that's your experience with my book. And, and that was, you know, even my mom, she's like, this is the most disturbing book I've ever read. I'm like, really? <laughs> I've written way worse things than that. <laughs> I was going to say, like, does she read a lot? <laughs> she like, does. I mean, she yeah. she reads mostly nonfiction, but she's like, um, this is because this... you're her son. She's like, oh, why are you doing this? Like, <laughs> Maybe. I mean, she's she's funny. She's like is very convinced. You know, writers write what they know. That old axiom. I'm like, mom, like I'd be a serial killer if that were true. <laughs> but I, but she's like questioned me before. It's like, well, you know, you know, like you this is in you your know. brain. Like, <laughs> right? What happened to you? And I'm like, you were there. You raised me. I don't know. <laughs> like, ask yourself. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's funny. I love yeah. that. <laughs> um, so is she just at, you know, does she, is she part of, you know, proofreading or she beta is. reader team? Yeah, yeah, she, so it's funny because like, um, you know, I usually give her, she doesn't read my book until it's usually like as a galley, you know, so mm. the galleys come out and I give it to her and she's got an eagle eye so she can spot a typo from a thousand yards. <laughs> and so she'll, she'll always like do that. Um, and she's always very, we're very waspy. So she doesn't like, <laughs> She she doesn't give a whole lot of opinion, you know. Okay. Exactly. But this book, she'll be like, it is the most disturbing thing I've ever read. I didn't find any typos. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, mom. Right. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's awesome, though. That's like, <laughs> like hitting both sides of of that, you know. Totally. Technic technical and creative. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> 
we kind of touched on that. Did your, did your process change at all? Like your writing process changed at all since you were doing when you're doing a crossover versus doing like something alone like that you haven't done before? I don't think so. I mean, my process is really ultimately like writing for myself. Um, mm-hmm. You know what? And again, not outlining like it's exciting for me to I only write like an hour a day. So mm-hmm. I, I, I go upstairs, you know, five o'clock and I have my cocktail and I'm like, what happens now? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always and so I, that hasn't changed. Um, you know, my writing style has certainly changed over over time. And my and my ability to write has changed over time. The, the muscle has has grown stronger for sure. Um, but when it came to doing kind of a crossover book, you know, I don't think much really changed. It was just a, it, it was a little bit more dependent on, you know, early feedback to make sure, you know, some of the beats I, I'd gotten right, um, if not corrected them. Um, but I don't think the process mm. itself really changed. Yeah, because I was just curious if like, you know, you had to look at well, you said you don't really outline. <laughs> I don't know if like you take, you write down notes to like remind yourself and if you had to, or just to flesh stuff out, if you had to look at your notes or if you had to read your book again, or if this, this concept, the house was just, it just never left you. So you kind of already knew where it was, what you wanted, where you wanted to go with it. Yeah. I certainly didn't have to go back and look at the old book. Cause I kind of knew what was in it. Mm-hmm. And I do, I do kind of keep notes for sure all along. And, um, you know, and it's just, it's, it's a mess. It's just like just <laughs> random ideas in a word document, but I always put the most, I always put the notes that I think I'm going to want the most towards the top of this mm. document. And it was funny. I just found that document the other day when I was preparing for a launch event for this book and and the top note said, keep in mind at all time, this is ultimately a haunted house story. Okay. <laughs> Whether or not that was going to shine through, that was my vibe going into yeah. this. Is like this house is fucked up. And if you have people in this house, I didn't want it to be paranormal necessarily, but I wanted to be like, if you are in a vulnerable state and you're in this house, um, you know, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it even was like right from the get go, you kind of you definitely get that vibe Um, or at least, you know, through Marlo. He's just he he like kind of there's like he's got like a kind of I don't know if it's a gift, but like he senses energy, you know, and stuff. And which I kind of, you know, I get. But I just didn't know if you were trying to like make that really distinct because he definitely like when he walks into the house, he's like, oh, like (laughs) something's not right here. Yeah, he's a little bit probably more empathic than most people, um, but not he's not a medium or anything like yeah. that. but he you know he has the ability like you know there's a scene where he's kind of reflecting back about meeting his wife for the first time back in his 20s and like you know her energy walking into the bar was yeah. distinct and she crackled and you know so he definitely picks up on the energy of space and of people. And that was important for the, for the story that he, you know, that kind of is both good and also contributes to his, his, you know, slow descent into madness because Mm -hmm. he's vulnerable to that as much as he is attuned to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. That, uh, and then it kind of brings you back to like, you know, the, you can't escape your mind. You can't escape your brain. And you know, that mentality that, all those thoughts and and if he's it's really hard for him if he's like prone to that 
where he like picks up on that and then it's almost like you can't he can't he can't escape it either right and then when you have that kind of pain and you can't escape your mind what do you do you think about things that can dull the mind uh, Mm. which is where his alcohol comes into a major play he was always a drinker but he's like i am just going to throw poison at this to hope that it'll at least, you know, make me not think mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. because I don't know what else to do because otherwise I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. you know, and I think that's a very common thing. I think people it's escapism through, through substance abuse. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was, yeah, but he also knew I, I can't do this cause I've got kids, but I, you know, he's just, you know, I have to be here. So he's just trying to be numb and it doesn't always work. Yeah. Yeah. And he is hard on himself when he like, I don't know. And I feel like he, his, his poor kids, like, cause they're kids, you know, and they're going through hard stuff too. But I was, there were some points where I was like, Oh, come on, cut your dad some slack. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's always the struggle, right. To figure out how do I make this character? Like they don't have to be likable, um, but you have to feel like, yeah, I can see why he's like this. Um, mm-hmm. And you can kind of empathize with that. Um, but it's also easy to make them, you know, massively unlikable, in which case that's not necessarily what you want either. So it's right. And you, as you're writing it, you kind of, you kind of lose perspective because um, you're writing from like, this is what I would do. And for all I know, I would be massively unlikable. <laughs> <laughs> so you do kind of need those other opinions to kind of you know, yeah. help steer you a little bit. Yeah, I imagine it's hard, it's difficult to to as an author to kind of distance yourself or detach, you know, your own decision making from that of what, like to make it consistent with your characters. It's true. Yeah, and and about half of the books that I've written have been from a female point of view. Oh, okay. Um, the the protagonist and because I used to hate when people would read who people who I knew would read my book, like, Oh, I totally saw you in this character. I'm like, I don't want that. Like I, that, <laughs> for some reason that really bothers me. And so I started writing from a female point of view and it was actually very freeing and very like, like empowering. And I loved it. And I'm like, I, I felt like I was really experiencing, you know, a, a wholly different point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, Marlo's a man. So I, I definitely, you know, you, cause it is easier to attach like, well, this is what I would do. Um, so yeah, my books usually alternate between females. So the dead husband is all from Rose Yates points. Point okay. View. Okay. Like what kind of choice is in, or why do you decide to make your character um, female versus male? Like, and what do you like one better than the other, or are they both equally challenging? Yeah, they're certainly both challenging. I, I do like writing from a female point of view. Um, I, I feel like I can kind of escape a little bit more mm-hmm. in, into that character. Um, but it's never like, I'm going to set, set out to write my next book from a male and man's perspective. It, it all kind of comes down to whatever that scene is that pops into my head. I'm like, Oh, who's in this scene? Who are these people? Why are they doing what they're doing? Who's the main person here? And that kind of reveals itself to me a little bit. And sometimes I change. Sometimes yeah. I'm like, you know, that's not quite working from that character's perspective. Um, but generally speaking, <laughs> whatever that scene is, is like, all right, I, this is my challenge. This is what the book is going to start with. And where do I go from here? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because I guess, you know, authors, they switch back and forth about either the point of view and then you do 
you decide if you need to do first person versus third person. And that's all those like little, you know, they, they're small. They're kind of like big and small decisions to make. That's a major decision though. So that's something I do think about quite a bit because I, my, my preference is to write in first person present tense. So you're, you are in their head, you are embodying this person. And, and, and I think for thrillers that works well because everything is such in the moment, mm-hmm. um, and that that it just it just aligns itself well with I think my writing style. Uh, but there are times, and, and I might have a, a secondary point of view that then shifts, and that's third person past tense, and you're a little bit more distant from that. Um, and I like to do that as well. But but yeah, you know, or and there might be sometimes where my protagonist is like third person past tense because I'm like, I don't know if I'm capable mm. of being totally in this person's mind that the, what I'm writing right now is like a 21 year old woman. Who's a servant, a savant. I'm like, I don't know if I can be first person present tense with yeah, this person yeah. because that's, it's so different than my own experiences. Um, so it, it, it's a lot of thought going into like, you know, that because your voice is very strong when it's first, first person present tense. And oh yeah. You want to make sure it's distinct from your other books. It's yeah. So it's, it's a whole thing. <laughs> so then that was kind of like a repeat, a repeated like process for you with the new neighbor then like, well, you said you just started with the scene and, and went from there. So like, how did that, so you just kind of went through that same process in your brain of trying to figure it out. Like, okay, can I get in this space or do I need to like, you know? Yeah. Do- I mean, it, it's, it's you writing that actual scene, right? So you're writing the scene and my, my gut instinct was to write it this certain way and and then you step back and you're like how does that feel do i feel Mm. this person Mm. um and there have been i mean there have been times when i've totally changed everything you know just because it just didn't i couldn't either get into that person or it just didn't feel right i had one book where you know there's a a murder in the opening scene a pretty brutal killing of a of, of a kid and it didn't feel right for obvious reasons, but yeah. <laughs> I decided like, what if it's a girl who kills this kid? Like, so I just changed it. And that just completely opened up this book to me. Mm. I'm like, oh no, this, here's the killer. Um, mm. And it was, and it surprised me, but it became much more interesting to me. That is interesting. I guess like, you know, cause I interview authors all the time and that's just something I don't really, cause I, I read so much. And so that's, there's like all these little details like that. I'm like, oh, I wonder it's interesting to think about like those choices that you make and for, and why and how that can completely change the story often, hopefully for the better, I'm assuming if you're making yeah, that decision. And, and it depends. Like I'm not, again, with my background, I'm not somebody who has taken any writing classes ever or read a lot of books about writing. I've read some, but I truly believe like it, you know, there's so many people who like take class after class after class. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's how you do the structure and here. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just not me at all. I feel like, you know, so even these decisions we're talking about with like point of view, it, it all comes from a place of being organic and yeah. it's just how I feel, uh, not how I'm kind of logically processing it. Um, because once I remove, once I remove any of that um, organic element from my writing, it's not fun for me. It's formulaic. Mm-hmm. So it does, and again, not outlining helps that because I'm like, just go with the moment, see what happens. And that doesn't mean it always works. You know, sometimes it's a total (laughs) shit show. Um, and you, but, but it's how I do it. And it's it's how I derive joy in the art of writing is from that process. Yeah. Nice. So 
A couple more questions before we wrap up. So like, what was your, what were the most difficult parts to write? Like a two-part question. What were the most difficult part or parts to write? And then what was like your favorite part or parts to write? So the favorite part, I don't know if it was the favorite in the moment, but when I look back on it, there was um, the the scene, there's there's a scene where his daughter goes missing for a little while and he can't find her. I mean, just a matter of like an hour. But it's a pretty prolonged scene mm-hmm. of, of, of immense panic. Um, and I enjoyed writing that because it was freaking me out writing it. Because yeah. I'm like, I know, you know, it my kids are no longer sever. <laughs> my kids are older than that now. But I, I'm like, I can, you know, there's already threats to this guy. And so you, all yeah. of a sudden your kid is missing. And, and you have this pretty dark history. And you know what death is like, and you just and and you just go there in your head immediately. So I don't know if that was my favorite scene to write. It was probably one of the easiest scenes for me to write because mm. I'm just like I I totally know what this would feel like. You know, yeah. I would be out of my mind. Yeah. Um, difficulty, like it, you know. So Marla goes into you know a descent, and and there was a lot of internal monologue with him, and a lot of like you're really in his head a lot, and I. You know, I got a little bit lost in that. And, you know, I definitely had to cut my editors like, yeah, we need to, <laughs> we, <laughs> we need to get out of his head for a little bit because this is like getting tough. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so that was tough for me is to like figure out like, what do I cut? You know, I have a tattoo on my arm that says, kill your darlings. And I'm a firm believer in like, if it doesn't serve the story, you kill it. Mm. But sometimes that's not always easy to figure out. You know, you mm. have to really try to step back and be objective. I'm like, ah, I love this scene. But what is it contributing to the story? What What is the point of this scene? And there's times where you just, you know, cut chapters because you're like, it's not really advancing the story or it's not shedding new light onto anything. I guess the hardest part wasn't stuff that I wrote, was stuff that I had to delete. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that'll do it too it's i you know i imagine because obviously word word count limits exist um or you know the threshold that you have to meet but yeah i imagine that you know you you have you have to make sure that if you're cutting it out it's still you're not missing something you know yeah i mean and i'm very freewheeling about cutting i'm happy to cut and i I never really have problems with word count but like so this this manuscript that i just sent to my editor, you know, we had, we had a conversation about it. And I knew it was a problematic manuscript um, because I wrote it kind of from this <laughs> space mm-hmm. of like, this is a story I want to tell, but I don't know if it fits. Mm. Um, and she would say like, what is your, what is the vision of this story? What is your vision of this story? Uh, and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it's just a story <laughs> I wanted to. But they've got, you know, your editor has a job to do. They've got to pitch your story, not only internally, but then to booksellers. And so that can become a difficult thing is to, you know, ha- you know have that vision and not really know what it is. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's always, it's, you know, and it's always a team effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. What advice would you give to Marlo, to Bo, and to Maggie? <laughs> oh, boy. That's good. I mean, I kind of think they've got it mostly figured out. You know, <laughs> all that that by the end. But I think Marlo, you know, it, the focus always 100% above all else has to be on family, right? 
And, and you know, this whole story is about family, about family tragedy, family love. He needs to keep his focus on the kids and they need to receive that love and they need to understand that. But, you know, as seven year olds, it's, 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 it's tough. Um, so it's really, it's really up to him to mm-hmm. be that leading force. Mm-hmm. Would you give advice to the twins? <laughs> like you said, cut them some slack. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I, I, you know, <laughs> when I think about kids, especially little kids, you know, the, the, when I think about them, I, I'm like, almost like nothing's their fault in my mind. Like they are the product of, of their surroundings and their yeah. upbringing. So, you know, they need to be, cultured and, mm-hmm. and treated with love and joy and respect. If they're acting up, that's usually not their fault, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, at least at that age. So once they're 15, like, fuck them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but at seven years old, you know, they, they need ne- nurturing. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. They have a certain wiggle room up to a certain point and it's, right. You know, how old are your curve. kids? Uh, the my oldest one, he's four, four and a half. He'll, he'll be uh, five in a few months, but he yeah. just graduated preschool yesterday. So it was like, oh, oh my goodness, like, well, how did we get here? And then <laughs> right. the other one is, uh, he's about a year and a half, and he's oh, just, wow. yeah. And you are, you are just starting out. <laughs> oh yeah, yes, yes. My, I'm right my there, oldest like, just finished her first year in college, so. Oh right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's why you're like, no, screw you. Like, right. you know better. <laughs> With right. me, I, yeah, I try to have as much patience patience as possible, and I'm I pick my battles, but I I might be a little soft in that regard. But my husband's like, well, somebody's got to be tough on them, or you know. So he, well, yeah, I mean, and know. that's not to say you can't be tough on them. I mean, they 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 do need structure for sure. Yeah. Um, but if they falter, that's usually not their fault. Right. At that age. <laughs> I know. And I, I, I'm, I kept to remind my husband, like, we're going to sound like a broken record player for a long time. Like it's not, they're not going to, you know, he's not going to catch on to things overnight. Like it's gonna, it's a process, but you know, right. it's, yeah. At the end of the day, as long as like they're, you know, it's, you just doing your best, right? <laughs> Take right. one day at a time. And right. right. God grant me strength. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Totally. Just like, oh, it's like, what is it bedtime? Is it bedtime yet? Okay. 37 <laughs> minutes till bedtime. Okay. I can do this. <laughs> like, it's usually yep. up as soon as that, I, that clock strikes. I remember I'm those pretty- days. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so you kind of did mention this before. Um, if we're expecting more stories in berry or bury and then if you know what other what other projects are you working on yeah so i have this this one thing that's in 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 intense editing right now and uh and then i have a kernel for another story and then i'm i need to do a short story that i've been commissioned for so uh i've got a pretty full summer ahead of me yeah nice nice well i mean full and busy is very good so. it is it is <laughs> it's like you well, don't, you don't I, want to be I do it because i love it yeah i mean that's yeah. the whole thing with writing is like if you don't love it then don't do it because it's a pretty miserable right. <laughs> profession <laughs> so so i i love exactly. sitting down and and figuring out you know what happens next it's it's you know one of the best parts of my life that's no that's awesome that's amazing and i'm glad that you know 
you you went for it and you learned from it you didn't get discouraged and you figured it out because you no, I mean you you know you got it I think you've got it down or at least you could continue continue learning obviously and how to improve and challenge yourself but no I you know the new neighbor it's available now I I really enjoyed it and I I got sucked in and um it was a uh, I you know Marlo's you know he's got his problems but I I liked him so I like oh, him as a character good. you I know um that. Thank yeah, you for reading yeah. the book. I, I, uh, that means a lot to me that you took the time to read it and ask me questions about it. I appreciate that, Megan. Oh, for sure. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so got Carter Wilson. Um, if you don't want to read The New Neighbor just yet, you've got a couple got a bunch that you to pick from so <laughs> just like adam i might have to go to your website and stuff to look at what else uh you know all your other titles because i read i have a huge to read list but it's nice when it's like a quicker read or at least it's like easy to get sucked in and engaged and so yeah. i you know i i appreciate your writing style i think you're doing great <laughs> good to know feedback's always important yeah, <laughs> yeah it's not from your mom of course you know <laughs> other from other people <laughs> it all it comes in all forms yeah right. <laughs> all right well thank you so much for uh taking the time this was super cool um and yeah i'm gonna dive into the dead husband on my headphones and awesome. you know i'll keep an eye out for for you know other other stuff that you're working on appreciate it nice talking to you megan take care yeah. okay there you have it that's carter wilson talking about his book the new neighbor um if you want to read the other one that goes with this kind of is the the dead husband um, I'm like I said in the interview, I'm definitely going to listen to it on the audiobook and, you know, because I, I couldn't get enough of it. So, you know, as always, rate, review, and subscribe. Read my full book review on the nerdcantina.com. Follow Carter. You can find the links to his so his social and his website and where to purchase the book all in the show notes. Um, so thank you for listening. We'll talk to you later.